Hey guys, welcome to episode 7 of Unpolished Gems. We're super excited to bring on Robert Anthony Cruz, also probably better known to baseball fans and social media fans as Coach Rack, onto the show today. First off, thanks for being here. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So a little bit of context on how we got here. Uh, we work together um, on a client in the sort of sports space and baseball space, and that's how I got to know you, but I think there's so much context that uh, might help frame this conversation. I know at least when I sent to my brother that we were interviewing you and the first time I met you, I was like, I recognize that face. Where have I seen it before? And we'll pop the video up uh, for people that haven't seen your viral TikTok that sort of got you initially on the map. Obviously, I want to talk about your baseball career playing, getting to the professional level and then as a content creator now, but can you sort of set the stage on what that video was and sort of the context on it. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's kind of fitting as well, uh, given that, you know, we got a father-son combo here and it was a father-son combo that, that ended up, uh, yeah, making that video go viral. So, um, yeah, my dad was awesome, hardworking mechanic and, um, or still is, he's, he's alive. <laughs> I framed that as if he like had passed or something, but, um, yeah, so he, hardworking guy, uh, just retired a couple years ago, so that fires me up. But uh, he would always throw me batting practice growing up, and um, when I did find, when I got signed, we weren't sure if I was going to get signed or not, and it wasn't publicly released immediately. And so I know he was checking his phone and, and seeing if I had gotten signed. And I was at home with my mom when I got the phone call, so we shared a special moment then but when it came time to tell my dad i was like you know we should we should record this so i went down to to lids i bought a couple nationals hats um and i had my mom record me as i walked in and i was like mom you gotta you can't mess this up we got one chance at getting <laughs> saving this memory so i was like make sure it's the little red things going on at the top um and uh yeah walked in there and and just uh told him the news that I had gotten signed. And I honestly didn't think too much of it at, at the time. I, I didn't post regularly to social media or anything like that at the time. Um, but yeah, after later on that day, I was like, oh, this was you know pretty cool. I, I should upload it. And uh, so I uploaded it. And then, yeah, that's, that's when it kind of blew up. What would make you upload it? And was it just purely to share with friends and family? And if that is the case, what lit it up? and made it go viral. Yeah, well, I, I guess I had seen, um, okay, I had posted one thing before that had kind of blown up and it was extremely random. It was like this this video of me like, I don't even know how to describe it. There was like a sunset and I, I just did this little like camera trick that made it look like my, my wife or girlfriend at the time, Gigi, was like throwing the, throwing the sunset onto the screen. Um, anyways, that video had blown up. I, I didn't really anticipate it going anywhere. More than anything, at that time, my head was just like in the clouds because I was like, wow, I just got signed to play professional baseball. So I was so excited about that. And I was like, wow, this is like one of the biggest moments of my life today. And so I had like a video to kind of like share, yeah, with friends and family first and basically say, hey, I, I did it. I got signed. And because I know a lot of people have been keeping up with my career up to that point. So uh, yeah, that's kind of what it, it started off as. And then after just like a couple hours, it had already, you know, passed 100,000, which obviously was not normal for me at the time. And um, yeah, so it, it, it blew up very quickly after that. But it started off kind of just a, a friends and family thing. And that video obviously turned off into, I don't know, what does that have, 20 million views on TikTok? And uh, like that thing went ultra viral. Yeah, it was wild, dude. They, they were, I mean, they posted it on, they had 
things on ESPN and and SportsCenter and and all the um, yeah kind of all over the place. I think on Instagram it probably got even more views. Although I didn't even post it on Instagram at the time. I didn't know how Reels worked or how to post a video on Instagram. So I was like, I'm just gonna post this on TikTok. But it's insane. I think it would be very cool to talk about like broadly before we dive in your journey, like how you went from playing. I saw him on your videos when you were talking about like. You were good growing up in baseball, but you were the third, fourth, fifth best player on your team. Went and played college. I think you transferred once um, and then ended up playing professionally. What was the journey in a minute or two from childhood baseball to making it to that pro dream? And then I kind of want to go into the phase into content creation after that. Perfect. All right. I'm going to take a look at the timer here to make sure I stay in a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, I give you a very uh, a tight deadline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got 60 seconds. No, take as long as you want. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, don't don't give me that much freedom, man, because you never know where, where I'll go with this. But um, okay, so I was homeschooled growing up, and I so I was kind of like the weird kid. Um, I uh, did gymnastics. And I was like, I want to be an Olympic gymnast, gymnast. That was my thing. And my parents were always super supportive. I was like, I'm going to be an Olympian. And they're like, sweet. And then um, our men's team got cut because there were like not enough guys when I was eight. I had been doing it for three years at that point. Um, my dad drove me by a baseball field nearby and was like, hey, man, you, you should check this out. Maybe I think you'd like it. So I knew nothing about baseball at that point in time. Didn't know the rules. Had no idea what was going on. Um, and but it seemed cool so I decided to try it out and um, ended up from that point on being like okay I want to be a professional baseball player now my parents were like okay cool that's what you'll do Um, and uh, so that continued on and I ended up uh, I was homeschooled until my junior year of high school and then we were like okay I should uh, I should probably play high school baseball if I want to play in college so I ended up playing there got a really good coach taught me a lot ended up going to UC Riverside Play Division One baseball. Um, really struggled there, and then transferred to Viola, which is Division Two, and uh, it's out of there that I ended up getting signed. It's a crazy story. Why swap Division One to Division Two? Yeah, good question. I didn't think I was good enough to be honest. Uh, after the first year, I, I jumped levels very quickly, getting up to Division One, and I was just outmatched. <laughs> um, so yeah, confidence-wise, I honestly wasn't sure at that point whether I should keep playing or not, and. Uh, I ended up going out to play summer baseball. Um, for those of you listening who don't know, like college baseball players during the summer kind of get shipped off to random places in the United States to play in summer leagues. And um, so I got shipped off to Wyoming after my freshman year. And um, it was there that I kind of re re fell in love with the game, um, just playing in stadiums in front of little crowds. And um, yeah, I, I just loved it. And so after that summer, I was like, okay, I think I can actually do this college thing. I think I jumped the gun thinking that my career was over. So, um, but I still thought that a step down would be helpful. And I had a couple Division One schools that were potentially interested, uh, but I didn't want to transfer and then have to sit out a year. So that's why I was thinking Division Two or, or junior college. How did you learn social skills? being homeschooled? Great question. I did speech and debate. <laughs> so to take the, the nerdiness one step further, I was in a homeschool speech and debate league and uh, we would have tournaments. I didn't even know that's a thing. Oh, it's a big thing. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, you would never think, right? No, there's thousands of kids in this league and we, uh, we would do these tournaments and it's so funny. We'd all be dressed up in suits. It's ages 12 to 18. So you'll have 12 year olds competing against 18 year olds in debate. Like it's, it's wild. Um, 
But yeah, I did that for three or four years. My sister did it for like six years. And that I think really broke my fear of speaking in public and at the very least gave me enough social skills to, to get by. So <laughs> I have one more follow up question because you said two things, which actually reminds me of the Paul Rodriguez interview, which is you did gymnastics and then you did baseball. But the way that you process both was different than most normal kids. You said, I wanted to be in the Olympics. And then when you went to baseball, you said you wanted to be a professional baseball player. So talk me through how you went from, I'm just going to be a local gymnast and baseball player to, I want to be world-class. Yeah, good question, man. And I don't know how much of this is innate and just built in me or how much of this I developed from my parents encouraging me, but uh, maybe a combination of the of the two. But I think in, in everything that I've ever done, whether it's gymnastics or baseball or now content creation, it's like I can't help but like just push myself to just do the absolute best that I can do. And uh, for me, like with gymnastics, like I, I didn't even think twice about it. It was like, oh, I'm doing gymnastics. I'm going to be an Olympian. That's the, just the only option. And and then it was the same thing in baseball. I was like, oh, that's that's the only the only way to do it. And I, I feel like, uh, yeah, I, again, I don't know what that came from, but that any and anything that I do, even now what I'm doing in social media, it's like I want to be the absolute best at what I do. And, and that's just the way it is. What's your mindset on becoming world-class in anything? Do you go in with goals? Like the broad goal is I want for baseball, I want to be a pro. For Olympics, it's I want to be an Olympian on that stuff in gymnastics. Do you go in thinking 15 years out, where do I want to be with content stuff today? Or is it here's the map? outweigh that I want to get to that point? Good question. For me, it's it's not 15, it's five years. And uh, I have generally, when I was younger, I kind of set not as specific goals because I didn't really know where or how long it would take me to get where I was going. But um, when I started this content thing just over a year ago, um, I immediately set the goal. I was like, I'm going to be at a million followers uh, in five years. And um, like across across platforms, that was the goal that I went into it with. And I wrote it down on my phone. It's actually still the the screensaver on my phone. I don't think I have my phone in here right now. But um, but yeah, that's the screensaver on my phone is my five-year goals. And I got some other things on there as well. Um, But yeah, I I do think in terms of at least a few years out. But then with that, I think I often look at those five-year goals. And I think that that often shapes my more short-term goals, you know, whether it's a year out, whether it's a month out, whether it's a day out, whether it's an hour out. I think, yeah, goals have definitely been a big part of that. What goal setting process do you follow or is this just made up by you? I think it's it's mostly just made up by me and I think it's shaped by my my passions, what I'm uh what gets me excited. The the things that kind of fire me up, I I feel like I end up doing with excellence and then the things that uh don't get me as excited, I end up kind of just half-assing. So, um so yeah, I figure I play to my strengths and the things that I really am passionate about. Like one of one of my goals is to, to have a, a reading habit every day, um, and I I believe that I'm the more the best version of myself when I'm when I'm learning from other people and I'm reading and having the discipline to not just indulge in what I want to indulge in. And so um, I think that uh, yeah, the, my goals are to some degree shaped by what I enjoy and to another degree shaped by who I want to be. So you go and play pro and you sign COVID hits probably right around then. Um, What's the last three year journey from that video getting posted on social media to now blowing up on socials? You probably have, if you're not at that million yet, you're probably pretty darn close. Um, 
what was that journey? Yeah, so good question. And actually, COVID does factor into this, and um, and but it was actually beforehand. So I got signed in 2021, and um, COVID. So my junior year was my optimal year to get signed, and uh, I went from playing horribly my freshman year to playing okay my sophomore year, and then my junior year, the first year I was eligible to get drafted, I started off like with an insane start. I had like five home runs in my first ten games. And I had never talked to a scout before up to this point ever in my life. And I still <laughs> told people I wanted to play professional baseball. And, um, and uh, very first game of the year, I had a double, a home run, and I get a text from a national scout. And over the next few weeks, I had played so well. I had the, the Twins, the Indians. Uh, I had several, the Astros. I had several different teams now reaching out to me and getting into talks about the draft. And so uh, 2020 was like, okay, I should get signed based on how things are going. Um, and we were out in Hawaii when we started seeing news of COVID everywhere. And shortly thereafter, returning from our you know road trip there, we uh, our season which got- racked us quite a bit. He gets to Hawaii way more than oh, I yeah. like to get dude. To somehow every year for the past six years, I've made it out to Hawaii. So well, I remember we were supposed to get on a meeting, and he's like, "Hey guys, can we push it? Because I'm going to be six hours behind, and I'm on a beach in Hawaii." I was like, "Dude, that's a great excuse. I like I, I'd love to do that one." Yeah, I feel like this is a little sidetrack here, but I feel like you and I just. See both are always in like these cool random exotic places. <laughs> Sorry guys. Have you, ever seen the t- have you ever seen the TikTok? It's like I'm really exhausted, but I gotta keep being that one random friend that's just traveling somewhere in the world for no reason, <laughs> but you have to just keep the act up. I'm like, I think that's us. Oh, absolutely, man. It's 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 a it's a heavy burden, but uh someone's gotta do it, you know. Sorry, continue the story. I just thought that like you're there so much that I'm jealous. I gotta get out there. Yeah, dude, you got to. You gotta keep up with me. Um, and I got to keep up with you. You're out freaking Europe. I don't, I don't know, somewhere. But yeah, so when I was, uh, so 2020, I'm hoping to get signed. And uh, yeah, what ends up, and our season ends up getting canceled. And uh, that was like, in baseball, if, if you don't get signed in your junior year, then you don't have much leverage because, you know, usually you can be like, oh, sorry, professional team. I want to finish up college, get my degree, whatever, and then I'll get signed. And so they'll offer you a lot more money your junior year. You usually get drafted a lot higher. Um, so as soon as, and, and you're younger, which also plays into effect. So um, yeah, so then season got canceled and I was like, man, like things, it looked like I had a chance of actually pulling that off, even though like I had been kind of just blindly running towards a goal with very little signs of hope. And um, the following, yeah, so I, I ended up just getting myself to train all through 2020, not really knowing if we'd have another season. And uh, the month leading into our 2021 season, for some reason, I just wasn't playing well in practice. Um, our coach was talking about not not starting me. And um, our first couple games, I was batting like eighth in the lineup or something and uh, ended up starting off the first series okay. I didn't have any home runs or anything. And then... Um, I was like, man, last year in 10 games, I had five home runs and I ended up going on a tear in like our sixth, seventh and eighth games to where by game nine, I had six home runs. And um, again, yeah, so that was a crazy, crazy time. And also what partially fed into this video uh, being such a crazy thing for me was um, I didn't talk to a single scout my senior, my senior year. The entire time I talked to a ton during my junior year and nobody reached out to me during my senior year so um, I was like convinced that I was not gonna get a chance to get 
to, to play and get signed because otherwise someone would have reached out, talked numbers, something, right? Um, and uh, so that partially fed into how you know, crazy that moment was, uh, was that I really didn't think that, that I had a shot, uh, despite putting up the best numbers I could have put up. Um, but it's Division Two school. Robert, do you think that was some of the, the magic? Like, I'm trying to uh, re reverse engineer the magic of that video. If you were like outside of yourself and, you know, doing an analysis, what made it so special? I thought it was impossible. The day before, I bought a season pass to a water park called Raging Waters that I was going to go to with my girlfriend at the time, Gigi. Um, because I was like, well, if I'm not playing professional baseball, I can at least drown my sorrows in this in this sick water park. Um, so, like, yeah, I just was so convinced that I was not going to get signed. My parents knew or like really feeling for me, like literally as the draft, like the last. And that was another another element to it is like I wasn't actually signed in the draft. I was a free agent signed immediately after. Teams will sign just a couple more guys, and so my parents were watching the draft tracker. I was watching the draft tracker. The final names get called. It's not me. And um, yeah, it was just like the perfect, like, and there were so many things too that happened during the season. Like, I mean, it would take hours to break down all the little factors, but it was just, it was magical. And um, yeah, even my like last college at bat kind of was just like, oh, I can't be done playing. Like, um, yeah, it was just so, so many things put together. Uh, and on that day specifically, I think what especially made it special um, was the emotions that my parents were feeling at the time because my mom was downstairs literally crying for me because she was like, man, this is his dream and it might be over. And um, so I got signed and that moment I shared with my mom was just as special as the moment I shared with my dad. Um, but yeah, getting to share that moment with my dad was special and he knew how much it meant to me and, and all the hours we had put in together. And so to be able to at least say, hey, I did it, I got signed, like, it was a super special moment. Do you think, um, Robert, do you think that that translated on video? Like that that intensity of emotion translated into virality and like people living vicariously through that video. Yeah, that, I, I think that's what it was. I think emotionally people were able to connect with it. And I think you'll sometimes see some like random, like artificially created moments on social media and you'll see those a lot. and they'll sometimes do well because people just love seeing interactions. But uh, but in this case, it was like entirely genuine. And I think a lot of people were able to like see, wow, no, this is a real moment that's very special to them. Um, so yeah, I think it did shine through. So tip number one, authenticity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, honestly, I, I definitely think that people can people can read emotions better than, than we think that they can. So you get signed. It's still kind of COVID, like 2021 COVID is still a thing. What is the next? Like, I want to go, I want to close out the pre-content loop because I think there's so much in the content thing. Once we hit that, what is the, you sign and then what happens on the field and what's that process look like as a undrafted yet signed guy in the show? Yeah. So, boy, <laughs> like I said, man, we could talk for days. Uh this just opened up a whole nother world getting signed and going out there. I'll keep it brief. But basically, I get signed on a Tuesday. They contact me on a Wednesday kind of basically saying, okay, so here's the next steps. I fly out on uh, Sunday to their complex in Florida um, and in West Palm Beach. And from there, we have to do a bunch of like 
testing, like introductory testing, um, make sure we're healthy and take a, a very thorough physical and, and all that stuff before we actually sign the papers. Um, and so I went there and did all of that and immediately tested positive for COVID upon getting there. I had no symptoms or anything like that, but I tested positive. And so I was supposed to kind of, they take you through normally like a two week period to kind of just get you ready before you can get on the field. And, uh, and so, and then after that, they immediately throw you into games and you're just rolling from there. And for us new guys trying to prove ourselves, it's very important that you get onto the field as soon as possible. So you can start seeing eyes, maybe get assigned to another level. And, um, so what ended up happening was I tested positive for COVID and immediately upon, uh, flying out there, have to stay in my hotel room for the next like two and a half weeks. And, uh, so that's I'm in the hotel room while all the other guys that they signed are out playing in front of the coaches. And uh, by the time I got like released from my quarantine, uh, all the guys I had gotten side with were already on the field playing. Um, and so I had to play catch up a little bit. And uh, one, like three weeks without training baseball, like I'm going to be a little rusty even after that. And um, so then by the time I joined, it was, it was tough to like, <laughs> it was tough to play catch up. And, uh, I ended up starting off pretty good that, that season, but, um, I didn't finish very well, but that was a whole nother, uh, world of mental battles of, you know, convincing myself that I actually belonged there and, uh, being able to actually go out and compete when kind of in the back of my head, it was like, I knew it was a miracle that I had even gotten signed. So it was a lot of, a uh, lot of character development for sure. We'll say that. <laughs> you think a lot of people have imposter syndrome when they get recruited and have stories similar to that? I think, yeah, a good amount do. I think a lot of people there really believe it because they've been told for years and that's just the way that it is. Uh, in my instance, I hadn't, I definitely had imposter syndrome given that, uh, like we mentioned earlier, I wasn't necessarily always the best guy on my team. So I definitely had to fake it a little bit until I made it, you know. From a, So you do that. The, you'd already had a little bit of virality, obviously, because the content came out when you signed. So that's before you even step foot on the field professionally. But you have such a deep knowledge on content creation stuff that I want to go into. For those who don't, we literally – I don't know how long we were on a Zoom a couple nights ago, but we spent like a good two, two and a half hours talking – content funnels social content all of that stuff and you're doing an unbelievable job at it and clearly there's been a ton of success on that end from a broad overview standpoint like not a ton of athletes are out there documenting stuff in their own professional lives and definitely not from a coaching perspective and you've built this whole brand around coach rack what was the evolution from being on the field to being like, all right, you know what, I'm going to change this angle towards a coaching perspective and just pump out content. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, God's been gracious. I feel like I was prepared indirectly because going through high school and, and even college, to make money in high school and college, I did wedding photography, and so I knew my way around a camera. Um, and uh, I think I, I always, I also when I was younger, I, I, I loved YouTube. I loved watching like <laughs> Minecraft YouTubers and, and stuff like that. So I I'd always had a passion for, for making videos and I would even make videos at the time. I loved it. I would like record videos on my laptop when I was, you know, 
playing Minecraft and, and stuff like that. And so I, I always kind of wanted to get into video. I never really had the opportunity to. And then I had that one video that blew up and I didn't immediately start at that point. And the reason I didn't start then uh, was because there were a bunch of rules that I didn't want to break. And professional baseball is very like, don't. And the Nationals pretty much told me like, just don't really post anything. Like they basically told me that. So I was like, all right, I, sounds good. I, I was thinking about doing like some vlog stuff and being like, hey, this is day in a life or whatever. And there's you'll see people doing that, you know, um, you'll see people doing that now, but uh, I, I was like, all right, I'm just going to focus all in on baseball. That's why I didn't get into content then. Afterwards, after I got released, there was a period of two months where um, I didn't really know how to break the news to people on TikTok. I was kind of embarrassed because it had only been it had been less than a year, and I already got released. And um, and so I was like, man, like that's kind of embarrassing. I, like all these people are trying to keep up with my story and are like, we following this guy because we got high hopes for him. And uh, oh, he already got released. Yikes! So for me, it was kind of like I was initially thinking, all right, well, I guess I'm never posting to social media again. I'm just going to move on and do something else. Uh, so it was a very humbling experience. And I sat on for, for two months, I was waiting to see if I get signed by another team or see if this and um, so many like almost like literally I have a plane ticket, I'm about to fly out and then something gets canceled. That happened like multiple times. So uh, finally, after two months, I was sitting in my room and one night I couldn't sleep and I couldn't sleep too much during this time period because I was my wife and I at the time had just gotten married. We were living at my parents' house and uh, after I got released and, you know, I got a bunch of people asking me questions like, so what's up, man? You going to get a real job? What's the deal? You know, um, or the cleats hung up that. Whole yeah. And I honestly didn't know. So uh, I ended up after two. I was not sleeping well after two months. I, there was one night I specific, specifically remember I was there like staying up to like three in the morning and I finally like the words kind of came to me because it had been weighing heavy on me that I hadn't like given an update on TikTok and so it's like 3 a.m. and I'm staring at the ceiling and uh, finally the words just came to me and I took my took out my phone and I just wrote them all down I wrote down everything that I wanted to say uh, as far as a career update goes and up to this point I hadn't done any videos where I'm straight up just talking to the camera like Really, the only videos I had posted were like, you know, just the, the video and some other just like random stuff. But so finally, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go set up my camera downstairs. It was three in the morning when I did this. Um, I'm going to go set up my camera downstairs. I'm going to just uh, what, I, what I did was I took the script. I put it between my legs. I like read one line and then I'd look up and then I'd say it and then I'd look down and say the next line and so on. And afterwards, I just just cut it all up and uh I did that so that I could actually get all the words out and have it be smooth. And uh, the next morning I woke, but after I posted that, I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. Like that was the block that was kind of keeping me from getting into content because up to that point, I was like, man, I gotta tell these people I feel uncomfortable. And after posting that video, I was like, all right, you know what? Screw it, I'm gonna go all in. I'm just gonna post every day. I think I have a lot of good things to say. I, I, I can figure this thing out. Other people can figure it out. I can do it too. Um, and that was, I guess that's, sorry, this is going a little, little long, but I think this is important. The day before that, actually, the day before I got that, you know, the words kind of come into my head, uh, I had tried to go record a coaching video because I got the idea of making a coaching account and I was like, I can do this, but at this point I hadn't updated anybody. And so I went out in the back and I tried to record and I had just zero confidence in front of the camera. Like I, I just felt so weird. I hated the sound of my voice. All the, I recorded for three hours and got nothing good 
at all. Everything sucked. I was worried that the neighbors would hear me recording because I was like, I just felt embarrassed by it. And after I posted that update video, the next day, tons of people saying super nice, supportive things, and and uh, people like really, like I guess, resonated with my transparency and and uh, and yeah, like people didn't light me up like I expected them to. And uh, I think even if they had, I still would have, uh, you know, had that weight off of my shoulders. But the next day I was like, you know what, Gigi, let's go in the backyard. I'm going to just fire up the curveball machine and we're just going to record it and see what happens. So um, from that day forward, after that, I guess going back to the goals thing, after I posted that first video and I like broke through that wall, um, I was like, okay, for the next three months, I am going to post a video every single day. I'm not gonna miss a day. For this summer, I'm just gonna dedicate this summer, I'm going to make a video every day. And so when I started, each video was taking me a couple hours to do. It was it was taking a lot of my time, but again, I wasn't working a job, so I had the time. Um, but I did, I posted a video every single day for three months, and I was like, I'm just gonna see where it goes. And um, and yeah, here we are. It's for those of you that later. don't see, he has a nice little YouTube 100K play button behind him, so it worked out all right. There you go, it's working out all right. It's a crazy story, and it really is. The cleats are permanently hung up. <laughs> I still don't know, man. I don't know, dude. Yeah, I really don't know. I still feel, and again, I don't know how much of this is realistic or not, but I still feel like I still have something, something special there. Like I was specifically. This is another crazy thing. I was specifically told by multiple coaches at the professional level. Several of them pulled me aside and were like, "Dude, I'm telling you, you have something special. Like." Don't stop playing. Like, like I, they're like, I don't care what happens coming up. Like, you seriously have something special with the way that you can hit. Like, you know. Anyways, I've had so many things where I'm like, man, I feel like I could still play. Um, but at this up to up to right now, I'm I'm loving content. Honestly, the day to day is a lot more enjoyable than playing, and it's a lot less stressful. Especially when you get to wake up at seven a.m. and join a Zoom call with me. Yeah, exactly, dude. I, I wouldn't miss that for the world. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I long. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I, I'm open to playing, but who knows? What would be compelling enough to make you give up what you, like I assume it would be non-negotiable that you couldn't give up what you do now. Yeah. I see dad, you were definitely asking that exact same question. We're a little too similar, it's scary. I'm very, very curious to understand why in the world someone who's uber successful in a domain would hang that up and go back to something that sounds pretty painful at times. Yeah, no, definitely painful and a lot of like, uh oh my gosh it baseball is just so humbling it was just like a crazy um why go back I, that's the thing I, i'll never stop doing content like i love it uh, that's i think i'm gifted at it and i i do enjoy it and i'm gonna keep doing that one way or another so i guess i've heard a lot of people be like oh savannah bananas you should go play for them and i'm honestly not opposed who knows but um yeah i think if i did end up playing I I wouldn't give up the content thing. I'd still, you know, keep up with that. And uh, one way or another, I one thing I've learned is that I can't have who I am or my identity be too wrapped in what I wrapped up into what I do, uh, because I will end up putting way too much pressure on myself. So with baseball, it was like that was a lesson I really had to quickly learn. Was like, you know, I had to be okay with failing in baseball and uh, not having that ruin a part of who I am. You know, what I, it's hard to explain, but. It's not hard to explain. Actually, Robert, I resonate so very deeply. Like, you, you know, I'm at, I'm at a, the middle age point after 25 years in a business. 
And a lot of people my age or, you know, within that, that 10 to 15 year times, like Are you calling yourself old, call myself middle-aged, but I'm probably older than middle-aged if we're going to be honest, but you have chapters yeah. and milestones. Now in, in an athlete's life, those chapters happen quicker and they're harsher and you have less control it appears but look the life of an entrepreneur or a business person or anybody who's responsible for themselves your statement about i tried not to let my identity be wrapped up in what i do biggest so far my biggest headline out of this entire conversation because it can destroy you it can destroy a person who sells a business it can destroy a person who stops being a world-class athlete it can destroy anybody. So how were you able to actually make that shift? My hand was forced because I developed something called the yips when I got up there. And I think this was a combination of my imposter syndrome and all kinds of stuff. But basically the yips in baseball, it's a mental block, makes your body freeze up. Um, and so I put, they moved me to third base. And again, I'll backtrack a little bit. And uh, yeah, so many of my stories have like, you know, anecdotes to refer to. That's why we to. got time. It's a long form podcast. There you go. Chill. That's good. That's good. Um, I played third base one time in college. They moved me to third base because I have a pretty good arm. And I threw the ball away four times in one game during my sophomore year. And I think the first one was just, just happened to be thrown away. The second one, I think also just happened to be a slightly bad throw. And then from there on, it was totally mental. The last, and that last two throws were just like my body like locked up and that was that. So that's called the yips in baseball. Very few people can overcome it, and most people don't uh, have an answer to it. And I don't necessarily either, but they, when I get out there to Florida, I just spent multiple weeks in a hotel room, and I'm finally meeting with the infield coordinator, and he's like, hey man, like I know you played second base at, Bi you know, at Biola, and we signed you as a second baseman, maybe an outfielder, uh, but would you be comfortable with us moving you to third base? Uh, and immediately in my head, I'm like, oh gosh, that's the one position I don't want to play. And the one piece of advice I got over and over again before going into pro ball is someone asks you what position you play, you tell, like if, if someone asks you, do you play a position? You always say yes. So he tells me that and I'm like, yeah, dude, like I can play third base, sure thing. And, uh, so they put me at third base and I'm doing okay in practice. Don't think anything of it. I'm in my very first professional game and the first ball is hit to me and we have a six foot seven first baseman who nobody should ever overthrow and i overthrew our first baseman and uh at that moment i was like oh my gosh you're kidding me i'm in professional baseball now we literally had the owner of the team in the stands watching the game and i just threw overthrew the first baseman i'm like wow i just punched my ticket out of here um and so i ended up hitting pretty well that game but that just weighed on me. Luckily, not a single ball was hit to me again for the rest of that game. But I knew that, oh my gosh, every ball that's hit to me from now on, I'm going to throw away from third base because that's just the way the yips work. Uh, your body freezes up. It's entirely involuntary. And uh, so I was like, man. And I did research. I did research to see what, how to fix this thing, like a lot. You know, obviously, like that was my life at the time. So I'm like, I'm going to figure this thing out. And I found nothing absolutely nothing helpful people are like yeah you're on your own buddy <laughs> good luck and um so uh believe it or not the the way all this to say the way that i found the out there and started to learn and internalize more that my identity can't be wrapped up in what i do uh, i went to a church group 
and um, I had been going regularly at the time, and it was a, a young adults group on Thursdays, and uh, so I met up met up with this guy. He led a Bible study for a couple of the baseball players, and and uh, I was telling him my experience that day and how I had thrown the ball away, and immediately upon telling him, he goes, "Oh, well, I know what your problem is," and I was like. You, you know how to fix the yips? Like, tell me, please, by all means. And he's like, oh, uh, well, you, you have fear of man. I was like, fear of man? He's like, yeah, you, you, you're scared of what other people think of you. And if, if there was no one else there, you remove people out of the equation. And it was just you at third base having to make a throw to first base. You probably make that throw 98 times out of 100. Uh, he's like, it's, it's only when people get in there that you start messing up. And so he said, you're, you're afraid of what other people think of you and you're playing for the expectations of your coaches. And that's exactly why you're struggling with that. And, uh, I was like, dang, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, dude. Um, so he gave me this book called, uh, people pleasing by, uh, Lee Priolu or something like that. And, um, so I, I opened it up. I started reading and, and he was absolutely right. It was like we as human beings are always seeking affirmation from other people and everything that we do. We eat it up. We love it. And, um, and yet uh, that seeking of affirmation from other people can, can put this uh, anxiety on us and, and can often cripple us. And uh, so finally what I realized was I had to be okay with I had to be okay with not being good enough in front of my coaches if that was going to happen. And I had to be, become okay with failing. Um, and so rather than doing what most sports psychology people would recommend and, and uh, you know, rehearse the positive outcomes in my head because that's what I had been doing, I did the opposite. I rehearsed the worst possible outcome over and over again. And I pictured everyone's everything I was afraid of. I pictured my coaches seeing me in a bad light. I pictured my teammates thinking, man, why the heck did we sign this guy? This guy sucks. I pictured everything I could possibly be afraid of, and I pictured it over and over again until I was numb to the idea and I was finally okay with failing. And that being said, I think even if I were to go back to playing now, I would still have to do that same type of mental work every single day uh, because uh, it, it's built into me to some degree, right? Uh, to, to play for the affirmations and live for the affirmation of other people. Um, but... The very next game I ended up playing, I go to third base, the first ball of the game is hit to me again. And uh, I had been rehearsing in my head me throwing this ball away over and over and over again because I had nothing to lose. And um, I feel the ball and I throw a perfect strike right at his chest. It was a fast runner, still got him, no problem. And um, you would think that I feel relieved and I didn't even feel relieved at all. It was like, yeah, cool. Even if I had thrown that ball away, I would have been totally okay with it. And that was the position that I needed to be in. I had to be totally fine uh, with failing in order to, to, to do this. So yeah, for the rest of the season, I didn't, I didn't throw a ball away. I, I played perfect third base. It was a lot of mental work. It was very taxing. I was scared every single day showing up to the ballpark. Uh, it weighed heavy on me, but uh, that was definitely the, the steps that it took for me to internalize that lesson a little bit more. And you fixed the yips. Yeah, yeah, at least for that time being, I did. Who knows, if I ever played again, could return, but yeah. It, it almost sounds to me a little bit like, you know, again, without getting deep and making this like a crying circle. Um, Je you know, Jesse- Are you gonna talk about my monk retreat? I'm, I'm not even gonna talk about your monk retreat. I'm gonna go further back. You know, Jess, Jesse used to suffer from anxiety and panic attacks. 
And what you're describing, which to me, and my other son has perfectionism, which is closer to what you're talking about, which is fear of not being good enough, right? Um, it, it, you know, most perfectionists are, are uh, either aiming to please or they feel at some level they're not worthy. Um, and by the way, I know that because I am one. So, um, but most of the time, the way that past fear and, you know, the yips and panic attacks and whatever you want to call it is desensitization, right? Because then it doesn't freak you out anymore. Like you, you can cope. Like if you're afraid of snakes, you got to go in front of snakes a lot. And then eventually the snakes don't freak you out as much anymore. And it sounds like that was your answer, if I'm not mistaken. Totally, yeah, exposure therapy. I learned a lot about that afterwards because I made a video on the yips and I had all these like professionals in my comments being like, oh, you did a perfect example of this. And I was like, oh, okay, sick, good, good look. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got a, great, uh, a great camp to ship you to in Tennessee and you could deal with all that shit and more <laughs> okay. for seven days away. Perfect, man, sounds good. Yeah, send me the link. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, uh, I had my nice little being made fun of in a couple of my uh client meetings that week when i disappeared from i was like guys i promise i'm gonna i promise i'll come back promise i'm not gonna go become a monk and move to like indonesia like i'll still be uh, i'll be me i think i think i turned out all right robert your your insight about um being okay with failure and being okay with other people either not liking you not being pleased with you not being okay with your performance it's the only way to find happiness yeah yeah Oh, dude, absolutely. It's uh, it's a lesson I'm going to continue to to keep learning for sure. From a tactical social standpoint, like obviously your content's great. Obviously there's a cool storyline there, but not every content creator who does that space blows up. Like it it's something that we talked about a couple nights ago on stuff and all of that stuff. I know it's not a secret, but or I know it's not a perfect formula and a secret sauce you can put on, but if you a new content creator came to you what are the keys to a viral video? Yeah. There are too many keys for me to be like, these are some of the keys. Um, besides, I guess, the, the, there's more principles, I guess. And and the way that you learn these principles is like anything else. You, you put in the work and you do it over and over again and, and you learn from it, right? But uh, I would say, though, for someone starting off, like realize that, Above all else, if you want a video to be seen by a lot of people, the people who do see it have to watch it for a long time and engage with it. So how can you create a piece of content that is constantly grabbing at the viewer's attention throughout the entirety of the video? And in order to understand what grabs people's attentions, you have to tap into their emotions. Put yourself in the eyes of your potential target audience and be like, okay, uh, if I was that person, what would I be afraid of? What would make me happy? What would make me excited? What would make me stay and watch a video? And that was kind of the starting point that I uh, went off of. And again, these this was developed over a long period of just posting every day and having the immediate feedback loops of, okay, this worked, this didn't work. I tried this intro, this worked, this didn't work. And, and over and over again, and just constant course correcting until I finally like am slowly getting better at it. Um, but pick... First and foremost, put yourself in the shoes of your target audience and think, what I like to start with is think, what are they scared of? What are they afraid of, right? 
And because uh, what I'll notice is that the videos that I stay and linger on are the ones that hit hard. And, and like, you know, like we we're just talking about, you know, you seek affirmation from other people, right? Like I scroll across a video and it's like, oh, uh, you do this. And this here's exactly why you do this. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll hear you out, you know? Um, <clears throat> so for me, like even with baseball coaching videos, I was like, okay, my, my players probably went through a lot of the similar things that, that I went through. And let's say I'm, let's imagine that I'm talking to some 15 year old kid who wants to play professional baseball. Uh, I might lead in my hook with something that, that exposes some degree of insecurity or taps into that fear or taps into excitement, uh, tap into emotions. So that, that's one thing that I'd say an overarching theme, but there's just so much. Yeah, the biggest takeaway from our conversation when we spoke was like, especially on TikTok and some of the TikTok reels, that kind of stuff, how important it wasn't so, like, it's weird because I've paid attention to pers- like the only classes I paid attention to in college were my major, which is persuasion and social influence. So like how to persuade over time and how to get people to evolve and through the podcast and what stuff sticks. The one thing I didn't think about was timeliness. And you were like, dude, your clips in this thing were great, but the hit points at seven seconds, I'm gone. Like I, I'm not, you're not watching this anymore. Can you talk a little bit about your thesis on what makes the first one and a half seconds of a video so important? Definitely, within the first couple seconds, there has to be some sort of question that's created in the viewer's head, and there or there has to be, yeah, there has to be some sort of question in the in the viewer's head. Otherwise, if they already have the bigger video figured out, then. That's it. Why watch? watch, Right. And so they have to either think they're going to see something they've never seen before or learn something they've never learned before. And because of that, I believe in the first few seconds, you have to kind of talk in extremes. You can't be afraid of sounding like you're cringy and like, like, you know, like the videos that make you stay and watch are not the ones that are like, hey, here's a good tip for you to live a better life. It's like, this is, I've pinpointed exactly why your life sucks. Like that, it has to be like that, you know, like it has to be something that's a total extreme and people feel weird talking in those terms because it feels dramatic. It feels over the top. It feels corny. Uh, but that's what works in social media, because if you're not claiming to have something that they've never heard before, then they're gone immediately. So why let's totally. So in the first few seconds, you've got to be able to very clearly articulate or at least uh, show either articulate or display uh, something that causes that that question in the viewer's head. So for me, some practical ways that I do that is I have on-screen text about you know this big and uh, like Ray big at the top in their face, and I keep those words super simple. And those words are always aimed at creating a question in the viewer's head um, or giving us a, a vague roadmap to what is to come that will spark some sort of interest. So really just giving them some simple words. I've found that if I put too big of words or make the on-screen text too long, they might be too lazy to read it or they'll read it and not understand it. And so they scroll away. And so just something really big, simple, like someone should be able to watch the first few seconds of your video and have an idea of where it's going, but at the same time, also have no idea what you're going to do next. Like it has to be a combination of the two. So yeah, definitely first few seconds are super important. I like having some on-screen text. You don't need it if, if by the scene you create enough interest and give enough of a roadmap so that they have some question in their head as to where the video might go. But uh, yeah, I can't speak highly enough of the first couple seconds. Like, And then from there, it's really 
Yeah, it's really a matter of replicating the first couple seconds of attention grabbing and then just replicating that again throughout the entirety of the video. So I think people like Mr. Beast have really uh, has mastered it. Like, And the only way that you're going to master it is if you love it, if you love the process, because if you love the process, you're okay with doing these things over and over again until you learn the, you have the feedback loops and uh, you start learning what works for, for your audience and what doesn't work for your audience. But if you love it though, and you're committed to doing it consistently, then you will learn those things very quickly and it's inevitable that you get good at it. I can't think of a single defining characteristic that Mr. Beast has that another YouTuber doesn't He's just like a total ordinary guy and he's the best at what he does. He's the best at grabbing and holding attention in the world. And so you don't need a, anything crazy special. Like you just got to get good at it. And in order to get good at it, you got to love it. And with Mr. Beast, he loves it. There's that fear component of people are like, well, if our first 20 videos don't do good, then we're doomed. When in reality, it's like, you're just playing the game and getting the content and getting better like any other skill. The thing that's interesting, if people watch some of your videos, it's like, that first second, it, it's like some of the Mr. B stuff, like zoom out, ding, noise, text. Like my ADD thing's going fucking crazy. <laughs> I can't wait to watch. Like it's hitting every sense that I need to, like a baseball's getting thrown, there's a noise, there's text, there's info, and there's like a question that's like, oh shit, and I don't even play baseball and I'm interested. Like I love watch TikTok stuff. I don't have a Rolex and I just watch Rolex TikToks because I'm like, this is fucking interesting. Like it's cool. It's quick movement and it's ADD. And I think, by the way, for the record, I, when this comes out next Sunday uh, at Rack's recommendation, if you guys see hyper cringy content of me talking about being on Dr. Phil or any of that stuff, blame him. <laughs> dude, I can't wait to see that. We I, after Yeah, seriously, after talking, I'm like, dude, he's got so much. You are very, you have very crazy, interesting things that you've done in your life and you need to hype them up more. So I'm excited to, to see some of this content. Yeah, I keep them low key or I keep them more low key. I'm like, I, it feels so wrong, but I guess that's the only way to actually get the message across. It almost goes along with somewhat of the, I don't even know if it's similar to what you were talking about earlier, which is, you know, I have to be modest. I, I honestly think there's a huge component of that in Jesse is like, I don't want to beat my chest and be that guy. And, you know, it's, it would be cringy and it goes back to, you care about what people think, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, like people will never know that you've done these cool things if you don't let anyone in on it. Yeah, no, that's so true. And and I guess I'll say I'll, that kind of sparked an idea in my head. Like uh, something I've noticed is like you're going to you're going to fail all the time when you're doing social media. There's videos I post all the time that I think are going to do good and then they don't. And I'm like, oh, man, that dang it. And like a little bit of embarrassment, whatever, especially if you're starting off, I can imagine like you don't have this baseline of views like you can post a video and get 10 views and you're like, oh, dang, like. People are going to think that's so lame. But one, again, doesn't matter what people think. Two, most people like just respect that you're trying because probably to some degree they want to do the same type stuff and they're too scared to do it. So, but beyond that, like here's my, here's my current like philosophy with regards to how we should view people and like what our relationship with people should be or with what our audience should be. For me, I, my audience can't dissuade me from doing what I'm doing at all. I could do, I could make a terrible video. People could say, wow, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. That was so cringy. I'm embarrassed watching this. People could say whatever they're going to say. And you have to kind of just be impervious to it. Be like, that doesn't matter. I'm going to keep doing this anyways. You have to treat it as a game that you're learning. You have to detach who you are from it. Because realistically, I could make a stupid video and my 
the, my friends and family, they're not going to see me any differently. They don't care. Like, it doesn't matter, right? And even if they give me a hard time about it, oh well. Who I am has to be detached from that. So you have to be entirely impervious to that kind of uh, response. And also, you have to engage with that because what I think you do, Jesse, and what I also have a tendency to do is to just kind of distance myself from the possibility of people thinking those things and be like, well, I'm just not going to do anything that crazy or over the top. But the people who are successful, they, they kind of do the crazy over the top things. And I'm starting to learn that. And uh, But that being said, you can really leverage positive responses to motivate you to keep going. Like, you know, don't be phased by the negative, but like, by all means, use the positive to fuel you. And it is very good fuel when it comes to content. Like the most motivating thing for me ever to posting more content is having a video that does well. Like if I have a video that does well and it's getting tons of engagement and breaks, you know, a couple billion views or something, I'm like, sick, all right. Like people love this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it some more. So to some degree you can like, that affirmation that people give you, like you can use it to, and like to keep going, but you can't let it dissuade you from, keep, from keeping to go, yeah. That was awesome feedback. And also the fact that I literally just leaned forward and typed on my computer impervious because I was like, that word's fucking enormous and I don't know what it means. <laughs> Great word. I mean, oh, thanks, man. I probably learned that in my homeschool speech and debate league or something. I don't know. Dude, that was a fucking uh, – I heard that. Very word. powerful. Very yeah, powerful. dude, that was the most biggest – that whole thing, great. That word, mind-blowing. Add it to the fucking vocab <laughs> list. It. I didn't know what that one was. <laughs> I think that – 1000% makes sense. And on top of that, it's like you're incentive driven because you want to produce good content so that you get more views, can make more money off of it, have more opportunity. The channels are incentivizing it because people are watching stuff and they're getting more ads through. And then your audience is enjoying it because they actually care. Yep. And they're getting value out of it. And it's trying to find where it was a part of the like, when you find your niche and you obviously have yours, then you can learn specifically what that base wants rather than having to go as a generalist. Mm -hmm. It's like you find what that audience wants and you push. The one thing, well, Dad, first, do you have something that you want to hit on for I do. I, I keep walking forward so you yeah, notice I you. that. I see you're like um, two-step up. You, you know me way too well. So, Robert, where, where I wanted to go with this is like I was a paid media guy. It, you know, like I, we've done recruiting and paper lead marketing and all this kind of stuff. Shocker based off of us being related. <laughs> we with that that was my like we, we did it with like recruiting insurance agents and financial advisors and um, direct to consumer stuff. So that, and there was no social media in my world, you know, when, when I started my career. So when I hear about content creators, my first question is, like, what is your why for doing it and how does one monetize it? Right. Like, is it just for the likes or is there a financial model behind this? Yeah. Great question. And I think when I started, I didn't know where the money was going to come from. But I, I, I do believe in the industry as a whole that the people who have the attention of the consumer will be in a very powerful position. And I believe that's going to continue to be the case. And so I think that... Um, for me specifically, my why, uh, I genuinely want to mentor young men and I want them to be encouraged to, uh, I just want to teach some of the lessons that I've learned and I want to encourage them to, to strive to be the best that they can be in whatever they do and not settle for mediocrity. And so that's part of my why. And I think that shines through in a lot of my videos, whether I'm getting coaching videos, whether I'm sharing part of my story, I want people to be okay with failing. I want their identity to not be wrapped up in what they do. And I want people to learn those lessons because it's so freeing. And uh, 
And so that's part of my why as far as, uh, you know, values and, and that sort of thing. Uh, financially speaking, I'm still just figuring it out as far as how to best monetize things. Um, but gosh, it's exponential though. It's like I couldn't, I didn't, I lived in my parents' house for the first nine months of doing content. And then it's like I just keep like, doubling the amount of money I make every month. It's like, and it's coming through the most random avenues. And I think it's just such an underdeveloped, with social media, it's such an underdeveloped market. And the value of it, I think, hasn't been truly realized yet. Like the amount of pull that these influencers have by wearing a certain shirt or by drinking a certain drink, it's like they do not realize the type of like waves they are making in the market that will continue to affect the market for a long time down the road. And so here's what I think. I think that influencers have not realized just how powerful they are yet and neither have businesses and so many so many big businesses and corporations are trying old methods of marketing um, that have worked for them for the past 20 to 30 years but with this next generation the attention of the consumer the attention of the next generation is all on TikTok it's all on reels and whatever it's on social media and so What's gonna end up happening is these companies that have used these old models of marketing, uh, and sorry, there's this the guy with a weed blower right outside my window, <laughs> literally right outside my window. I was like, is that us? No, dude, oh, no, boy. it's me. Great timing, dude. I was on a roll. It's all good, it's all good. As long as you've told us about it, we're all okay. good. We're authentic. Yes, that's right, it's all good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the attention of the consumer is now on TikTok. People, the next generation is comfortable with buying things through social media. We no longer go into a store to see what we're gonna buy. If we even go into a store, it's because we already have done our research online and heard about it on social media, and we're going into the store to just buy the product. And so, like, the, we've already predetermined. So people are making their buying decisions now uh, based off of things that they see, and some of it's subliminal, some of it's conscious. Uh, but one way or another, people are buying based off of uh, just where the attention of the consumer is, and it's no longer in the places it used to be. And so I believe that... Uh, companies do not realize the opportunity to influencer marketing. Robert, what do you think the opportunity, like, let's make some predictions here. Okay. Uh, my world was you want to be the author of a best-selling book. That was exciting to like us oldies, right? So now everybody wants a freaking podcast, right? Everybody wants to be like a superstar on social media. So talk to me how that plays out prediction wise for trends for businesses, for um, people having personal versus corporate platforms that they operate off of? And then how do you see it monetizing itself out? Like beyond just getting paid for views, sponsorships, affiliate, um, you know, speaking engagements, courses. Tell me how you see monetization occurring in the future. Yes. I think it's going to depend based on your tiers of influencers. And I think I'm not sure, to be honest. I don't know. Uh, what I, I do know there's going to be something big. And I think as I my goal is to keep building my audience. And as the market develops, I learn from it and then, you know, take the best opportunities. But one thing I do think will happen more is things like Jake from State Farm being a thing, like having people be like the face of a company and like you kind of recognize like, oh, that's that 
so-and-so from so-and-so, you know? Like, I think having personification of brands is going to be more of a thing. Uh, and just what makes me think that is up-and-coming brands, like say Scrub Daddy, it's like you see the, the brand that they've created on social media. There's This thing has a personality. It's a little sponge with a smiley face on it. And like in my head, I have like these ideas of what kind of like personality I think it has because of their social media. And like that's gold and they're huge. They've made so much freaking money off of that. And uh, I think that people like the, the uh, oh, here's another thing that's definitely going to happen is our shopping experience is going to be centralized into one place. Like absolutely that's going to be the case. Right now you see a product, you have to guess, you have to ask in the comments. You're like, where did you get that? What, what, okay, Amazon, cool, uh, here's the name, I'm gonna go to Amazon, I'm gonna look it up, I'm gonna buy. Just our market is so efficiency-based. Everything in America is so efficient, and that is not efficient. So it's going to move towards efficiency. That's definitely going to happen, especially because there's money to be made with it. So that will definitely become more efficient and streamlined to where people will be able to watch a video and like, say, tap on their shirt and then immediately buy it from in the app. Like that's definitely gonna be a thing, and I've already seen Instagram try to do it like one way or another it's going to be centralized it's going to be quicker so with that there's tons of opportunity whether it's through merch or whatever else I think the biggest opportunity right now for businesses and if I had a big business with a ton of money I would probably be going all in on this um, is I think that influencers right now are being paid like pennies on the dollar to what they're actually worth and so for the companies that are actually willing to go out and pay the real value uh, they're going to create really long-term relationships with these influencers and like seriously like if you give ten thousand dollars okay which is a drop in the bucket when it comes to marketing budgets for a lot of these big companies you give if they literally were to just give ten thousand dollars to like pick out ten influencers in their target market you know and give each of them ten thousand dollars to like just try it out, take the time, meet with them personally, start a relationship and say, hey, we really wanna invest in you, we love what you're doing. Like, let's, like, I know no one's offering you more than $1,000 right now, but like, we're gonna give you 10,000 because we think you're worth that. Start that relationship with a bunch of different influencers that are in your market, let them try your product, have them give you feedback. Start those relationships with 10 different people. It's gonna cost you $100,000. And with, if you offer, say, like that kind of thing to say influencers that have a following of 200,000 followers or something that seem promising in the, you know, with their career, like, dude, like if someone offered me 10,000 right now, I'd be like, sick. All right. Yeah. What, what are we doing? You know? Um, and it, like, oh my gosh, the, the, the amount of like, they would just generate so much just by doing that. Cause again, what influencers are being paid versus what they're worth is just not, not the same right now. And then also the internal stuff that you can build on your own stuff, like the courses you can then build off of your own following where you're keeping 100% of the stuff or the own offerings you're building on your own stuff. I think there's so much value in that stuff still. And I feel like it's undertapped. Yeah. In fact, Jesse, I know that's your area of expertise. It's also like, to me, the biggest risk or to de-risk what you're doing is you're on somebody else's platform, right? And you can be deplatformed. Now, I'm assuming just knowing you for this very short period of time that you're not going to get deplatformed. You're like an all-American kind of awesome guy. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see you doing anything that risky. Um, however, it is a risk, right? And, and so, you know, old school guys like myself have always said like the hedge is 
pull them off the channel, get them to opt into your email list, get their you know, SMS for, you know, for texting purposes, get them in other areas where you own the list, right? And then you can remarket to the list so that you have like, again, being in the insurance business, I'm always hedging and I always think so. And then you can monetize it for yourself instead of relying on an outside sponsor or an outside affiliate. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with outside sponsors, outside affiliates or any of the other stuff. But it, you were also mentioning you were going to put together or you've already put together a camp. Can you take a moment and explain what that is and is that something that you're using to monetize your platform yes yeah it definitely is it's it's an in-person event uh it's a camp it's called not your average baseball camp and the whole vision behind this was people want to the, the reason people watch social media to some degree is to get a sense of community right it's like they, they want to feel involved in something and um and so the idea behind this was to get a bunch of creators in just the baseball niche and connect them with the kids who love watching them. So we did that in January and it was a blast. Like the kids were like on cloud nine the whole week. They were literally crying at the end of the weekend because it was over. Um, and it was an amazing experience for the kids. It was an amazing experience for the coaches. We have another one coming up in a month, uh, which I'm excited about, uh, J uh, July 27th to the 29th. Um, but one more really cool thing that came out of this the first time, and this is again on the topic of content, is we had 12 coaches stay in one Airbnb, all who were interested in content creation. And we were absolutely exhausted after dealing with a bunch of kids, 60 kids and managing them for an entire day. And after we, and when we got back to the Airbnb, we still excitedly talked about content until three, four in the morning, every single night of the camp. I have never been so tired in my life and yet so excited. And so since that camp that we had in January, every single one of the coaches with like maybe one or two exceptions, I'm talking like 10 out of the 12, have at least doubled their following since January. I've doubled mine. Like I had 250 on TikTok then. I have 500 now. Like everyone there has doubled their following and so much of that is because one, we were inspired by each other and two, we were able to share what's working for us, what's not working for us. Everybody learned, everybody benefited. So I guess for people listening to this who are interested in getting into the content sphere, uh, find other people who are having similar goals to you. And again, this is totally a principle that applies in so many other things in life, but find other people that are pushing towards the same thing as you, that are on the same grind as you, that are learning, you know, and, and then and then regularly meet with them and get each other fired up because that is the best way that you're going to get good at this thing. You can only go so far on your own and I was really starting to burn out after doing it for on my own for so long and then I, I told my buddy Ange, hey man, you got to start up a page. We got him to start up a page. He got 10,000 followers in one week and we're like, awesome, let's go. And so that relationship I've had with him has really improved my own uh, understanding of social media and it, it, it will continue to inspire me. So find those people, meet with them regularly. And one more thing that I will say actually um, on this subject you brought up just a little bit ago about uh, if the plat, say the platform that I'm on goes away, right? Um, I'm not worried about that in the slightest and, and here's why. I, I very well think that any platform can go away. I think TikTok can go away. I could lose, I, you could start me right now at zero followers. And I am so confident that it's not going to affect me more than a couple of months because I believe that I've learned the 
rules of social media and I understand my target market in such a way that so long as there is a platform to post on, even if all the current ones are taken away, one way or another, the demand for it's there. People want to watch content one way or another. People are spending five, six hours a day watching content. That's not gonna go away. They're gonna continue to desire it. And if they can continue to desire it, there's going to be a market for it. There's gonna be a platform for it. And if there is a platform for it, then I will be able to post on it. And if I'm able to post on it, then I will build a following because I know how to grab attention and hold it. And so I, I think like if you learn the content game, you do be, your following, I do believe, becomes invincible. Like you can lose following from a platform and there's talks of TikTok going away and that's and that very well could happen. And it is definitely helpful to have those those safety nets for, you know, in case a big something happens, you'll still have like direct access to your following. Like that stuff's helpful for sure. But I think long-term, I, I think once you learn what your market wants and you know how to grab attention, I, I don't think there's any risk. And on that, Rack is now building an email list because we were sitting in a meeting and he was talking about how a video made it, gave him 5,000 email signups and my alarm bells went off. I was like, holy shit, dude. Like that's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's extremely, extremely easy to monetize once you understand how to do it. I mean, with, with the help of someone like a Jesse who knows how to do stuff like that. Until we're related on the common themes that we talk <laughs> about and the stuff we're interested in, it's a little fucked up. I love up. it. But I got to say that, you know, what's interesting to me is like my background is direct response marketing and every single thing you said, you know, it gets like refreshed and renewed with each new generation and the slant of it and how it's expressed is different. But your advice about grabbing someone that that's a headline, that's a subject line. And that's like, you know, a, an open loop, curiosity, um, present pain. First thing I learned in marketing and sales is find people with a bleeding neck. And you don't want people with future problems. You want people in present pain. I'm not saying you want to take advantage of someone, but there's a lot of things that create present pain for people. And when you are in present pain, all you want to do is get out of present pain. And you will do anything. You'll look up every solution. And if you also understand a market and you become market focused, like back in the day when I first started out, I was like, don't be product focused. Don't push your product idea. You don't even know if anyone wants it. But if you learn a market and you understand their desires and their pains and fears, it's a never ending thing that you can basically serve for the rest. And I've been doing it for 30 years. You know, we, we, we tapped into late stage college planning and all these different niche markets all predicated around it's a starving market and it never goes away. And so, yes, whatever platform shuts down, there'll be 20 other platforms. There's like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and whoever, like there's probably a thousand others that you haven't even thought of. Yeah, dude, absolutely. And that's cool to hear like from someone with your experience and background too that, um, yeah, it, it, it just makes sense. It's like it's like the laws of the market. Like they're, they're consistent, whether it's a new something or an old something, like marketing will be marketing. People are still the same human beings who, yeah, absolutely. Human nature is the same, always. One final thing before we wrap, um, you're, launch or you're co-hosting a podcast that's coming that's out. That's right. Um, that is with actually the client that we met on. You guys are hosting it together, baseball and sort of background focused podcast that should probably be out in the next week or two once this thing launches. 
are you pumped to do a podcast? That's a new thing for you. It's you and uh, the guys at Headbanger Sports. What's the background on that? Yeah, well, if you haven't noticed already, I do like talking. So that is that is exciting. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I'm super excited. I, I've wanted to do a podcast. Uh, I've felt like I'd, I'd love to, to be able to meet new people, have conversations with people. And uh, yeah, it's totally up my alley. So I'm super excited to be in a space where I can talk about baseball some more and uh, be able to have those conversations. So yeah, definitely, if you guys are listening, it might already be up. Um, so definitely go go check that out. Yeah, we'll put the link to that in the show notes. And I'm excited to see you turn into a little uh, podcaster here and get some guy, Chris, out of his shell on a podcast thing. I think it'll be unbelievable. We'll get you guys to both be influencers. Um, this is awesome. Um, is there any closing stuff that you wanted to mention or you think would be important? And then also, we'd love to do a part two of this at some point in the next couple months, years, stay on top of this. Stuff. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed this a lot. And I um, and I appreciate you having me on and have me talk so much. I think when we uh, talked the other day, I learned so much from you. And I'm sure your dad as well has so much good insight as well. So I appreciate you guys being uh, good listeners and, and giving me good, interesting questions to, to get me rambling. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really loved it. Enjoyed it. I think I can't think of anything else that I, you know, want to share off the top of my head, but we should, we should definitely do this again though. I have one last question being that you're a goal oriented person, which by the way, I've been setting goals in writing since I'm in my twenties, dude. Um, so I, I didn't want to spoil your magic, but I'm, I'm a big fan of it. So if you are a goal setter, like where, and I, I didn't ask your age, and I didn't know if it's appropriate to ask your age. Am I allowed to ask that? Yeah, absolutely. Twenty four. Okay, so you're 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 man, you're a baby. Okay, so to me, you're a baby. So, what? Where do you see yourself, or have you put put down a vision of where you see yourself five years from now? Do your goals go out beyond five years? Like, for example, do you operate in twenty five year frameworks or five year frameworks? Or one year? Good question. I think I simultaneously operate in every potential uh, category of time. Like I, I want to be. I, I have goals for myself for when I'm, you know, seventy. I don't have them written out yet, but when I'm seventy years old, I want to be the old man that listens. I feel like so many people when they get older, like feel like they have everything in the world to share and rarely take advice and listen and learn new things. And so as I get older, I want to be. I want to grow in my humility and realize my limitations. I want to be open-minded enough to learn from people even as I age and not get set in my ways. And so I definitely have goals like that for the future that I'm on, that I'm often pondering. Um, as far as goals I have written down, they're just, just five years, but uh, I definitely have goals though. What's the number one goal on the, on the way out of this chat? What's your number one goal for five years from now? What's going to happen that, that we're going to have on our podcast and celebrate five years from now? That's a great question. And I think I need to readjust my goals as of right now, my five-year goals, because my previous five-year goals are kind of getting their butt kicked right now. So um, I think... Gosh, that's a good question. You know, I, I'm going to try to come up with one right now that's that's time sensitive. You know, a, a smart goal. I'm sure you know that, that acronym. Uh, so time sensitive, specific. Uh, so all right, five years from now, <clears throat> we'll just stay on the topic of social media. I don't know if it's my number one goal, but a social media goal. I think uh, we'll go we'll go 10 million. We'll go big this time. I want to have 10 million followers across platforms. I want to have a bigger audience. The bigger my audience is, the more I'll be able to continue sharing and mentoring. And so I guess with that, then I want to, I guess part of what goes along with that goal is having a 
platform that expands beyond baseball. And so I think I want to eventually, uh, you know, continue doing the baseball stuff. But if I'm going to eventually get to 10 million, I'm going to need to expand beyond baseball. Uh, but I think I have a lot that I'm passionate about and I love making content. So we'll go, we'll go big. We'll go 10, 10 million views or 10, 10 million views, 10 million followers five years from now across platforms. That's, that's my new goal. We made a little, uh, Mr. Beast desk video together when we launched this podcast. They haven't posted anywhere, but we have, we're like by year one, we got to have this by year three, we got to have this and by year five. And I'm putting it out there if we're being goal oriented on this thing. And coach rack is the master of social content. One of the clips from this video is going to outperform our highest performing video to date, which I think our highest performing video to date has like 70,000 views. So good, not great. Yeah. We're going to beat that on Heck one of yeah. the episodes yes. from this, uh, from this, from this yes, episode. That's our goal. Um, Rack, appreciate you coming on, dude. Dad, thanks for doing this. Great episode, guys. Yeah. It was awesome. Thanks, Robert. Great meeting you, man. Thank you, guys.